one of the big things from, from in that time period is I was afraid to tell anybody. We didn't talk about it in church. You know, it's not something that you really want to talk about in, in the youth group. So the impression I had was this is really bad, so bad we don't even talk about it. Welcome to the In Doubt Podcast. Hey, welcome to the In Doubt Podcast. My name is Isaac, your host, and I hope you've had a good week. Uh, we were over at the Apologetics Canada conference last weekend with uh, Andy Steiger, Jay Warner Wallace, and some other awesome speakers. It was really fun. If you ever have a chance to go to a conference held by Apologetics Canada, I really encourage you to go. It's it's amazing. Today's podcast really is the last podcast in our Walking the Line series where we've talked to different people. Uh, we had a group conversation last week all about testimonies, all about the the power of testimonies, how God can uh, work in and through us and change us for his glory. So I encourage you to actually check out last week's podcast where I, I get together with some friends and we discuss some of those things. Uh, last week, we also uh, published an article called From Revelation to Foundation. Uh, and you can read that at indoubt.ca. Really, the point of that article was to point out that as a Christian, we need to understand the gospel. In understanding the gospel, it really does become our foundation for when things in life, you know, come against us. This week on the podcast, I get to talk with a good friend of mine, John DeRoche. Uh, he's from all the way over in Nova Scotia. He lives in New Brunswick, but he's going to school in a little town called Wolfville, Nova Scotia, getting his master's there at Acadia Divinity College. Anyways, uh, he has an amazing testimony, and we just chatted. Firstly, he told me about his testimony, and then we both chatted about uh, testimonies and how he uses it to evangelize, but also to encourage himself. So we get to hear about that right now. So I hope you enjoy John's testimony. Hey, I'm here over Skype with my friend of mine named John DeRoche. We went to Bible college together. When was that? 2011? I started 2011. 2011, right. I led a life group and he was in my life group for like one or two sessions. And then he turned out to be this like super mature like guy. So the leader of life groups was like, no, you should, you should lead one by yourself, right? And then you kind of left my group to lead another group, which is totally fine. Exactly. It's because I'm older. It's because you're older. It's not maturity. It's just because I'm old. Just because you're older. That's right. <laughs> That's true. Uh, and we've been friends ever since. Uh, you graduated when from Pacific Life? Just last spring. Last spring, right. 2015. And then, and then you moved back to New Brunswick. New Brunswick. I'm in Nova Scotia right now. You're Nova Scotia right now. So tell us what you've been up to since uh, Bible college. Uh, after Bible college, I applied to various seminaries so I right. could do a master's degree. And I ended up here in Wolfville, Nova Scotia at uh, Acadia Divinity College, part of Acadia University. So I'm in my first year of my master's program here. That's good. Well, John's here with me. And we're going to talk about uh, testimonies because we're in our uh, series called Walking the Line. Firstly, we're going to listen to John's testimony. He's going to share it a little bit. And then we're going to get into how we sort of use testimonies and how God uses our testimonies in, in life. And how he uses them to uh, reach other people and ultimately bring others uh, to be saved by by Jesus. So let's start with the, your testimony, John. Why don't you just uh, share with us what God has uh, what God has brought you through? Sure, absolutely. Uh, I like how you word that too. How the you know the focus being on God. For me, I was born into a Christian home. I remember being baptized when I was five years old. I kind of became the the little child evangelist of the neighborhood. I'd go around and show them my picture Bible, all the kids, and be like, this is Jesus, you need to know him. So, and then I'd drag them to church. And, you know, that was good. I enjoyed it. I loved it. I always had a passion for ministry, obviously. 
Also, when I was five, my mother started her own business, and my father worked uh, most of the time on the road. Mm -hmm. And the same year, my brother, who was my half brother, who was 16, came to live with us, but uh, he had been in an abusive home with his father, so he brought some of that with him, not so much physical abuse, but mainly like verbal abuse. And so we had just moved to a new neighborhood as well. So at five years old, with all this, all these other things going on, uh, the good of you know being baptized and being the little child evangelist, my mother became very busy. My half brother had a learning disability, so mom had to spend a lot of time with him. Mm-hmm. So I, I missed out on a little bit of her time. Uh, and then his emotional abuse, uh, and then also there was a neighbor who was who began to sexually abuse me mm-hmm. uh, over a period of about two years. Wow. So with my mother being extremely busy, my brother filled the role a lot of the times of, you know, making making dinner and we ate a lot of craft dinner and like shake and bake chicken. I still hate shake and bake chicken. I despise it. <laughs> to this day. To this day, I can't stand it. That is so uh, I know, right? It's I, it sticks with you. Like when people people love shake and bake, I just can't stand it. I just I ate so much. <laughs> but anyway, so so there's a lot of stuff going on. How much older uh, is he than you? He's 11 years older than I am. Okay. And he has a twin brother who uh, didn't really spend a lot of time around the house. He came on, I think, one night a week because he was in cadets okay. uh, in the same city where we lived. Okay. The one really positive thing I remember, though, was, you know, God and church. And I remember thinking, when I think back to my childhood, I was a relatively happy child, even with all this stuff going on. Uh, we moved to a new neighborhood when I was 10 years old. Mm-hmm. And when we moved there, the new neighborhood kids basically said, we don't like you because you moved into the house where our friend lived. Oh. So there was like a rejection going on. So I started to isolate myself, spent most of my time in my room. But uh, God, you know, God's faithful and brought me into community at a new church. I started attending uh, Smythe Street Cathedral and I got very involved in ministry and in the community there. So I was there six days a week, I would say, and probably eight times a week. Oh my goodness. Like twice on Sunday, twice on like Tuesdays. I loved it. I was I was doing everything. So that was my life for, you know, from I would say 12 to 16. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was kind of, I guess, the golden child in the, in the youth group, you know, the right. one that they expected to grow up and be a pastor. Exactly. And I mean, in the end, they were right, but, you know, there was a bumpy road to get there. So, uh... At 16, uh, my mother had worked uh, for the past 11 years, somewhere between 16 and 20 hours a day. Uh, so she had a, she had built a bigger business. She had 10 employees, but she just overworked herself. Yeah. After several years of doing that, she ended up having a, a breakdown mm-hmm. and spent six months in the uh, psychiatric ward at the hospital. And she was in and out of the hospital over about three years, so from 13 to 16, and life became very hectic. It was, you know, depending on what we had saved as a family and what my father earned in his business. And I remember, you know, coming home every day wondering if it would be the day that my mother maybe took her own life, or, and the stress and the pressure started to build up. And even though my friends and family at Smy Street became a huge support center of mm-hmm. uh, prayer and encouragement for me, uh, I started to pick up some bad habits around 16 years old. Mm-hmm. So I started smoking a little bit to fit in, you know, nothing major at that point. But uh, Fit in with, like, school? At school with school friends? 
Exactly, and try to fit in with some of the neighborhood kids who had been rejecting me, so I found a connection there. Right. So, you know, if I did some of the things that they did, we could hang out. So that was, you know, very destructive and unhelpful, but it felt good at the time. Right. It seemed like a good idea at the time. So from 16 to 19, I was still very involved at Smy Street, uh, but I was really starting to live a bit of a double life. And, you know, I was the, again, the golden child. I went on missions trips. I did every ministry that a youth was allowed to do. Uh, and then I think I was 17 years old, 16 or 17, and a, a small child in the congregation passed away at two and a half years old, three years old. And I was really angry at God. And so out of spite, I decided to go uh, up to the woods with a friend and try smoking weed for the first time. Mm -hmm. And that turned into, I would say, five years, six years of eventually smoking marijuana every single day. Mm -hmm. uh, and on occasion using some other harder drugs, but not as frequently. Right. And so as my relationship with God started to slip, that led to starting to look at porn online. And something started to, to develop or, or happen in, I, in my mind and my thoughts uh, and I started to look not just at uh, porn, but at gay porn and started going on gay chat rooms and keeping it all a secret mm -hmm. and living a double life from 16 to 19 in a, in a very big way. And I never really thought about how I, I never identified myself as being gay in those years. I, I wasn't thinking, oh, I'm gay. That's why I'm looking at this. But I definitely recognized there was an interest there. Right. And so one of the big things from from in that time period is I was afraid to tell anybody. We didn't talk about it in church. You know, it's not something that you really want to talk about in, in the youth group. So the impression I had was this is really bad, so bad we don't even talk about it. Right. So this, this same time you're still going to your church? I was still going to the church, okay. uh, you know, six days a week, still <laughs> trying to keep up the good appearances. Okay. And, and that turned into a real, like a big mess in the youth group where we would cover for one another and, you know, hide each other's secrets. And, and I became kind of the ringleader of that because God gave me a gift of leadership, but I used it poorly in those years. And then uh, at 19, I started uh, university. Like I said, I smoked weed every single day. Uh, so I was in a bit of a haze. I was not a model student. I was high more often than I wasn't. I missed most of my classes. One night I, I was outside having a smoke and I bumped into a friend and he was like, hey, check out, like, come check out this meeting in the basement of the school. Mm -hmm. And it was the Gay and Lesbian Student Alliance. And uh, I wanted to see what was going on. So I, I like went to walk by the door mm -hmm. and he saw me and he's like, John, come in. And next thing I knew I was thrown into a different community, not the church community, but this other community that appeared to be very loving and accepting and welcoming as well. Right. And so within a few months, um, I had started dating a guy and I came out to my family, came out to my church. My mother made a suicide attempt. There were a lot of fights during that time, you know, holes in the walls and doors ripped off hinges. And, and the church asked me to step down from ministry, very rightfully so. But they didn't know how to handle it, really. Right. And a couple of my brothers, I have three brothers, three half-brothers. Two of them asked me that I not be around their kids, didn't want me around their home. So when I was feeling rejected by the Christian community, I was feeling very accepted by the gay and lesbian community. And so that sent me on a, a seven-year 
trip, I guess, in, in that world, in that life. And I remember driving down the road one day and praying, you know, God, if this isn't what you want for my life, give me a sign. And and I really expected something would happen. I thought God would like, you know, open the road or something. I gripped the steering wheel. I was like, he's going to make my car blow up or I don't know. Because <laughs> I knew, right? Obviously, I knew this wasn't what God wanted. And I felt God speak to me and say, you can choose your own path, but when the time is right, I'll lovingly call you back. And that stuck with me. So over seven years, I stopped going to church. I went on, I became a Christmas and Easter Christian, you know, go twice a year. And uh, one of the Christmas Eve services, I asked God to help me with the drugs, and he did. I didn't, I stopped smoking weed every day after that. A couple of years later, I met someone, and uh, we got engaged very quickly, within three, three months. So he and I were engaged, and we were together for five years. And I think it was six months into the relationship, we were driving somewhere one day, and I looked at him out of the blue. He had no idea that I had a church background. Yeah. And I just looked at him, and I was like, I used to go to church and stuff, and if God ever calls me to be a missionary, I'll have to leave you and go. Oh. And he gives me this like weird look, and he's like, okay, well, <laughs> I guess only God will come between us then. And then it was so funny later uh, that that's actually what ended up happening. Wow. So we lived together for, for five years, uh, six years, I guess, total, in a relationship for five. Mm -hmm. And we built a life together. We had, you know, cars and homes and pets and the joint bank account and the travel plans and the wedding plans and all that. And uh, I thought I felt loved and accepted, but there was always something missing, which was God. And I knew it was God. Like, I would, I would secretly pray. I would go and listen to worship music at night, like after he went to bed, I'd sneak into my office and put in earbuds and be like, I'm just going to listen to some worship music. And uh, yeah. And I would read my Bible a lot just so I could argue with Christians and be like, no, you're wrong about the gay thing. But that was God's way of keeping me in the word. Interesting. Well, I never believed what I was saying. I mean, I remember <laughs> driving away from my parents' house one day and being like, I know I'm wrong. I just know I'm wrong. Like it just, as much as I can make an argument, it doesn't sit well in my heart. So it was uh, August of 2007, a woman from the church who had been so loving and, and kind to both uh, my partner and I, she invited us over for dinner and things like that, but she sent me an article that the pastor of my church had written uh, on homosexuality. Mm -hmm. And after reading it, I thought, wow, this is pretty good. It started with an apology to the gay community, uh, but it talked about the biblical truth as well. Mm-hmm. And so I showed it to my partner, and he was like, well, if the Bible says it, it must be true. And I was suddenly shocked. Yeah. The guy without the church background is telling me, you know, if the Bible says something, it's true. Wow. So that was the beginning of God really calling me back. And then on September 23rd of 2007, we had a big uh, drunken party at the house. And the next morning was a Sunday, and I woke up. I looked at my partner, and I said... Uh, I'm going to church. If you want to go with me, you should get ready. So it was very much out of the blue, as far as I thought at the time. But looking back, you know, God was preparing it the whole time. So we're greeted by smiling faces and old friends. And they're telling me how they missed me. And this woman who I had never met, her name's Grace. She's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and she comes up to me and she's like, I've been praying for you for seven years. Wow. Yeah. First thing, one of the first things I heard coming back into the church. So I was, I was shocked. I was floored. Um, God was moving in my heart and after the worship service Linda Beebe, the woman who had sent me the article who had been so kind to us, got up 
to give a prophetic word. And as she was being handed the microphone, God spoke to me and said, okay, it's time. And I knew, I knew what that meant. I knew, I knew that meant it was time to give my life back to God. I hadn't really thought about everything that that would entail. That hit me as I, you know, went outside and got in my car and I was like, oh no, you know, I have to, all this has to go. So a few weeks after, driving home, my partner looked at me and I looked at him and I said, uh, do you know what it means that I've come back to God and, and I'm going to serve him? And, and he said, well, yeah, it probably means we can't be together. And that was, that was one of the hardest days. Um, we just, we drove home and cried. It was like carrying around a weight for months after that, just this, this feeling of loss. And one night while praying, we, you know, I decided we had to sell the house, go our separate ways. And again, that was another hard night. And, and for about a year and a half, there was a, you know, I slipped into a depression and it was very difficult. And I ended up losing the house and the car. And uh, because all the debt was in my name, I had to go through a bankruptcy. And so there was so much going on, but what I had gained was God, a relationship with God. And it, it's amazing, even in all the loss, the loss of the relationship and the home and the vehicle and, you know, credit, all the things that I had valued so much, my business failed in those years. I had God. I had the one thing that, that was better than any of those things. And, and it just seemed like no matter how bad it got, it couldn't get bad enough to give up. So the song that kind of became my mantra old hymn was, uh, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. And that would, I would sing that to myself on occasion when, you know, when things were awful. Those years were difficult. Uh, at 29, I felt God asking me to go back to Bible college. It's something I had wanted to do since I was 13. But I knew I couldn't get student loans because I had a bankruptcy. And I was kind of trying to avoid it a bit because I was like, I had a really good paying job finally. Right. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, no, God, like, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure you don't want me to go to Bible college. <laughs> Trust me, they don't make a lot of money. Like I'm, so I, I tried to get around it. I was like, fine, I'll apply. They'll, you know, they'll turn me down. And, uh, and they did, they rejected my student loan application, but then they had this list of conditions. It's like, if you meet any one of these you can appeal. And I met all five of the oh. conditions. I was like, shoot. Dang it. Yeah. And I applied to Bible college and I was like, I know how to get out of this. I'll just be honest on my application. Right. So I checked everything. Right. Have you ever, right. The list is long. It's like, have you ever done drugs, smoke, pornography, homosexuality, like yeah. everything. I'm like, check, 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 check. <laughs> right. I'm like, I still smoke. I'm like writing notes in, like I still smoke. Anyway, I thought that would get me out of it. But Dennis Hickson. Yeah who uh, at the time was the vice president of PLBC, called me. And the first words out of his mouth were, can I just tell you how refreshing it is to have an honest application? Wow. And I was so mad. Like, I, <laughs> I thought that would get me out of it. Yeah. Right, I thought that would be my, my escape. So I uh, went to PLBC. I was there for four years, and I'm here now. And I, I think the, the biggest thing throughout my entire testimony is how faithful God has been. So... He's restored my relationship with my brother. He's restored my relationship with my mother and my father. Uh, he's currently working at bringing our family back together. It had been so fractured after all the years of you know turmoil. He's restored relationships with people at the church who had hurt me. He's helped me to forgive them. Uh, he was faithful and called me back. He sustained me in the hard times. 
He gave me the strength I needed. He supported me. He's made the path clear. God has done so much to bring me through everything and, and all to this, you know, this one point that I have God and relationship with God, that even though there's been a lot of loss, you, you can't compare the two. I mean, Paul talks about it. He says, you know, I count it all as rubbish, garbage, or, you know, yeah. various other descriptive words. And that's what it was. That's all those things in my life had no value. At one of the hardest moments in my life, I remember, you know, collapsing on the floor in tears and looking around at the life I had built. And I had a lot of nice things and a nice home, but they couldn't comfort me. They couldn't help me. They couldn't bring me any joy or peace. Uh, that only came from God. So it's been a process of learning that God is sufficient, that God is enough, uh, and that he's faithful. More than anything, God is faithful. Yeah, so I guess that's my story. Yeah, thanks. No problem. So can you speak into a little bit about how, and you, you're kind of talking about it, but the fact that you know, God has restored things in your life, mm-hmm. but he still is restoring currently. I think that a lot of people, when they share their testimony, it's like, they're like, I'm fine now. Like, you know, I shared my testimony, but now it's all good. But it, that's not true, obviously, right? Exactly. We're not, none of us are perfect yet. I'm not perfect yet. And because I'm always being changed by the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm always being changed more and more into the image of Christ, into the likeness of Christ, uh, so that I can be a light in the world, so that I can shine the light of Christ in the world. It's a process that just continues. Right. And I think the greatest part about our testimony is that God is continuing to work in us, even though we're imperfect. And absolutely, I think you you hit the nail on the head. Like a lot of the time when we talk or share a testimony, we really want to say, like, I'm good now. Like, yeah. I'm pretty much I'm pretty much Jesus now. Yeah. <laughs> like, no issues in my life, right? Yeah. But that that robs our testimony of its power. Exactly. In the life of anybody who's struggling, because faithfulness to God, faithfulness to God isn't about perfection. It's about repentance. And it's about being carried by God and God's faithfulness. I remember one day I was, I was going through a really rough period. Uh, and one of the guys that was in my small group looked at me in the parking lot of the church. And he said, have you ever stopped to look back at where God has brought you from? And in the middle of this struggle, like I was just having a hard time struggling with sin. And, you know, as we often do. Oh, of course. Every day. Um, I had never thought to look back and, and see where has God brought me from. So that day was a big day uh, for me to look back and say, you know what, God is working in my life and has brought me this far and will continue. What, what does that look like if, if someone were to hear, you know, stop where you are mm-hmm. and think back at what God, what, what, what does that mean for, for someone to do? The, the image I always have in my head is like you're climbing up the, you know, you're climbing up the side of a mountain and it's to stop for a minute and turn back and look at the valley that God has brought you through. So it's to actually look back and say, are there things in my life that were sinful? Are there things in my life uh, where, or areas in my life where my relationship with God has grown? And to think back to what it was like before. You know, what this, this guy pointed out to me was, I was not the same person as I had been just two and a half years earlier. I was a completely new person. Uh, and God had done a huge transformative work in my life and in my heart. And so it's to look back and, and recognize God is working and has changed me and will continue to do so because he's always faithful. And, and as far as encouraging other people, a lot of it is just, 
I, I have been able to encourage other people, but a lot of that encouragement is to be honest with people and say, I still struggle. Yeah. Day by day, it could be a different thing. It could be anger today and sexuality tomorrow and bitterness or whatever, but I still struggle. But at the end of my life, when my life is done, I have a future hope and a joy that I'll see Christ face to face and that he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And that is often the most encouraging thing I've had the privilege of sharing with other people is this won't be easy, but it will be worth it. Yeah, that's so because good. yeah, I, I don't think the Bible teaches us that you know Jesus just makes life easy. Right. In fact, it talks a lot about suffering. I think it teaches yeah. the opposite, right? <laughs> yeah, more so <laughs> like suffering. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be hard, but it's going to be worth it more than anything else could be worth it. Yeah, that's good. And it's and then it sort of puts the testimony not on yourself, but it puts it more on the hope, the hope of glory uh, at Absolutely. the end of time, which is what we need to be focusing on. Uh, throughout our lives as well. Absolutely. Uh, okay. Well, Hey, you know what, John, that was amazing. Thank you so much for, uh, for sharing your testimony and then just talking about, uh, how we use our testimonies in everyday life to encourage us, but also God does use it to really save others, to catch the souls of other men. So that's oh, definitely. Uh, important. So thank you so much, John. Thank you for the opportunity. That was John DeRoche and our chat about testimonies. So that was our last uh, podcast in our Walk in the Line series, and I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, give us your feedback. Well, that wraps up the Indoubt podcast show. To find out more about Indoubt and to listen to more podcasts, uh, visit indoubt.ca. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We want to hear from you. If you have any stories, comments, or whatever you want to share with us, let us know. That being said, I'm Isaac, and this is the Indoubt podcast. <laughs>